Hello, this is Rabbi Rob Doberson, and welcome to this edition of Wrestling and Dreaming. And in this episode of the podcast, I want to address two seemingly separate issues. I see a connection between the two, whether you see it or not, and or whether you think it's a, a, a solid connection, I think both of the issues are important. The first is to discuss an issue relating to uh, Jewish thought and religious behavior in general. And secondly, is an issue in this week's Torah portion, a verse in this week's Torah portion, which can teach us something that's very important as we consider tshuva, repentance, which of course is so important during the month of Elul leading up to the High Holy Days. The issue I want to talk about is the issue called kavana, the idea of kavana. Kavana in Jewish tradition means intention, direction, sincerity. When we perform a religious act with kavana, when we perform a ritual or observe a commandment with kavana, it means we're doing it with full intention, with full understanding of the importance of that act in our relationship with God and sincerely performing it with a full heart rather than just performing it by rote. I want you to think about that issue and I want to approach it by referring to an article which appeared in the New York Times on Sunday, August 15th. It was an opinion piece written by Ross Douthat. I'm not really sure why it was important to have it in the New York Times at this particular moment, but I found it to be very interesting and captivating in many different ways. He was talking about, the article was called A Guide to Finding Faith. And what he was talking about is how one can, in fact, believe in God, have faith in God, have an acceptance of the existence of God, even in a world dominated by science and by a rational understanding of the world. It was fascinating to me because he said some of the same things that I and many others have been trying to teach over the years. He said it in a very captivating way, though, and I, and I was really, I found it fascinating. He, he talks about the fact that, as, as I have, and again, as many others have, that the wonder of the world, the beauty of the world, the intricacy of the world, the world that was created or is has been created, which is perfectly suited for the human being to flourish in, is not to be viewed as just an accident, that it was created with intention. He also talks about the, the miracle, I don't think he used that word specifically, of the human being and of consciousness, of us being able to reach beyond our physical bodies to have an understanding of self and to understand understanding of who we are in the world and, and how that is different from other of the other physical creations. And then finally, he also talks about the fact that there are things in this world that we can't explain, uh, perhaps paranormal things, experiences. He talks specifically, for example, about near-death experiences, and which would say that there's more to the world than we see, that no matter how much science can tell us, there's still some things that can't be explained. And in fact, he uses all of these as his idea of proof of why one can still believe in God in a world of science. I found it fascinating. I'm not interested in trying to convince people to believe in God. 
uh, and I'm not sure I could say why the article had to be in the paper, but it was fascinating for me to read. But he did say something else that was very interesting to me, and it's something that's borne out by my own experience working with congregations for many years. And I'm going to quote from the article. Many highly educated people who hover on the doorway of a church or synagogue relate to religion on a communal or philosophical level. They want to pass on a clear ethical inheritance to their children. They find certain God-haunted writers interesting or inspiring, and the biblical cadences of the civil rights era more moving than secular defenses of equality or liberty. Yet they struggle to make the leap of faith to reach a state where the supernatural parts become believable and the grace to accept the impossible is bestowed. For some, the struggle just leads back to unbelief. For others, it can be a spur to act as if they believe, to pray and practice, to sing the hymns or keep kosher, and wait for God to grant them faith in full. I'm going to stop quoting from the article there. What I find fascinating about what he says is that I have talked to so many people and been in, in and, and discussed with so many people the idea of can a person what's the what's the value of prayer what's the value of religious ritual what's the value of keeping kosher that's the example he gave if one doesn't believe in god and people will say i find great meaning in this because it brings me together with community it connects me with the, our past it's part of the jewish identity i've never wanted to stand on the bema in the synagogue and say okay how many people believe in God, or how many people believe that God is listening to their prayer? I would never say that. Because I know, as we all do, that there are so many valuable parts of gathering together in a community, engaging in intellectual discussions, seeking ethical paths in life, having communal celebrations or lahavdil to make a separation time of mourning without believing in God. And, and many people do that. Now, one of the points that he makes is that sometimes going through the process might lead to a faith in God. Our tradition has a way of saying that, mitoch shalom lishma balishma. If you don't find a particular meaning in what you're doing, if you continue to do it, perhaps that meaning will come. And I think that's what he's saying in that particular sentence. And it does happen to some people that they discover that this idea of God means more to them because they're going through rituals which assume a belief in God even though they don't have it. But it doesn't have to reach that point. It doesn't have to reach the point where a person in fact ends up believing in God. It might be it might be that they just continue to find great meaning in being together as a community and that's fine. So the question is this. Is that worth it in Jewish tradition? Does that mean something in Jewish tradition? Does it, quote, count? I don't believe that there's a scoreboard up in the heavens which says X person has observed X number of commandments. But if there were, does a person, quote, get credit for observing a commandment in Jewish tradition even if they don't believe in God? And I think the answer is absolutely they do. The issue of kavanah doesn't necessarily have to address an intention to God. 
it could just be an intention of the sincerity of the values that the prayer is is speaking about or the intention to teach our children about the identity of the Jewish people, which has been formed so often through religious ritual. So I certainly would never disparage anybody who observes the commandments or observes the Jewish rituals despite not having a belief in God. The question is, can that be sustaining? Can one sustain that belief over time? Can one pass that down to one's children if if there's nothing as 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 uh, foundational as a belief in God behind it, many people do, and I hope that that's the case. Because even though I hope that more people would take this God idea seriously, if you act like you believe in God, you're being led on a particular path, hopefully towards ethics and towards in this case identity with the Jewish people. Another issue, what happens about those of us who do believe in God and do believe that God commanded these uh, rituals in one form or another, and uh, you know, whether, whether literally speaking to uh, our ancestors at Mount Sinai or uh, in, inspiring teachers who developed these rituals as a response to some prophetic or some deeply spiritual experience. What about those of us who believe that, but then find the commandments, the observance of the commandments being somewhat rote and losing the kavanah in them? Let me give you an example. I have kept kosher in the, 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 in, to, the, to the degree that I do now, which is seriously keeping kosher, for over 40 years. In fact, thinking about it, it's probably closer to 50 years. When I go into the store to buy my, to buy my groceries, I'm not thinking about keeping kosher. Why? Because it's a habit now. I know what I buy. I know what I eat. I know what to look for. And I can honestly say that the idea that keeping kosher elevates us in some way is, is, is lost on me to a great extent. It's now just rote. It's something I do. It's connected with the people. It's who I am. And that's fine. But it doesn't have that lofty uh, sense of meaning that it did when I first started to do it. And in fact, the same thing could be said about prayer. A lot of the days that I say the prayers, as would anybody who is being honest at least, it is completely rote. But, so, so what does that mean? Does that undermine the importance of these rituals? It doesn't, because if I didn't continue to do them, even though most of the time or some of the time they are done by rote, I would never have those moments where I was elevated by the prayers. If I just said I'm going to wait until it means something to me, I probably would not engage in prayer as a regular habit, and therefore those opportunities would be lost. So I think that it's very important for us to understand that kavanah is critical, but and, and I'm sure there are some people who can keep their level of kavanah up every moment of every day that they observe Jewish ritual. But I think the majority of us do fall into the pattern of religious ritual being rote, being, being done just as the, a way of life, and not having that great amount of kavanah. But without the idea of what our tradition calls keva, the, 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 the ordained ritual of 
of prayer, for example, we would never have those moments of great meaning that prayer can bring. So we shouldn't hold it against ourselves if we're not having kavanah every minute. We should strive for it, but we should realize that it's not going to happen quite that way every time. Now, the verse from this week's Torah portion. Yes, every mitzvah that we observe, we should strive to observe with great kavanah, with great intention. But there is one mitzvah in the Torah which you cannot, at least at the beginning, observe with kavanah, observe with intention. Now that may sound very strange. You cannot observe this mitzvah with any form of intention, at least at the beginning. And what's that mitzvah? It's the commandment found in this week's Torah portion of Kitetse called Shechicha. If I forget a sheaf of wheat, a bundle of wheat in the field during the harvest, I am not allowed to go back and get it. I must leave it for the poor and for the needy. In this particular case, if I left it there on purpose, I might be observing a mitzvah of tzedakah, of giving charity, but I am not observing the mitzvah of the forgotten sheaf. The only way that I can observe this mitzvah is by not intending to do it. Because once I intend to do it, it's not forgotten anymore. So I come back to my house as a farmer and I look out of my window and I see the sheaf of wheat there and I say, Mazel Tov, Shechianu, I have the opportunity to observe the mitzvah of the forgotten sheaf. I can't go back and get it, but I can celebrate the fact that I observed the mitzvah. But I can't do it intentionally because once I do it, it's not forgetting. So now I have a question. What happens if you don't see the sheaf of wheat in the field? What happens if you never you forgot it and you never knew that you forgot it? Have you still fulfilled the mitzvah? If I haven't had to struggle with myself to say, no, I can't go back to get it. If I just forgot it in the first place, what have I fulfilled the mitzvah? Even if I didn't know that I left it there and therefore have no possibility of going back to get it. My answer would be, maybe we didn't observe the mitzvah the way it was written in the Torah, but if we take the word mitzvah in the improper but popular definition of a good deed, we've still done a good deed. We just didn't know that we did it. And that's my point about Shuvav right now. As we sit back and think about the past year and think about all the things that we did and that didn't, didn't do, the sins of omission, the sins of commission, and all of the good things that we did, the things that we want to continue doing in the coming year and the things that we want to move away from in the coming year. We should also consider two things. First of all, the fact that there were probably many good things that we did that we weren't aware of at all. Just like the farmer who didn't even see the bundle of wheat that he or she might have forgotten in the field. There might have been things that we did that had a great impact on individuals or in the world in general that we don't even realize. Maybe something, maybe an act of kindness that we did that we just took for granted that we've long since forgotten might have inspired somebody watching it to say, gee, that's something I want to do in my life. Maybe, maybe we lost some money on the street and didn't realize it. And somebody who found it was able to buy themselves a meal because of it. 
we can look back on this year and say there probably were things that we did that made a great positive impact in the world that we don't even know about. And conversely, there are probably things that we did to hurt others or to have a negative effect on the world which we didn't even realize, which we didn't even pay attention to, that we didn't realize we had done. I don't want to end this on a sad note. I want to end it more on the positive note. But I think both are important. As we go through the process of tshuva, as we go through the process of, of evaluating our lives and through this idea of repentance, let's understand that some of the negative things that we might have done, we didn't even realize. And let's be more cognizant to the extent possible of every act that we perform of everything that we do to make sure that at least to the extent possible, we're understanding the impact of our actions. And again, to end on a positive note, let's comfort ourselves knowing that we probably did some very good and very positive things that we're not even aware of. And let that be a comfort for us as we move through into the new year. Until next time, thank you.